Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, we are exploring God's discipline of the nation of Judah, which is the nation where the prophet Habakkuk lives. How, how is God disciplining Judah? Is it fair for God to discipline Judah like this? And I really, really want you guys to stick around until the end of the conversation because we will eventually get around to really relevant questions like, how might God discipline us as his sons and daughters? How do we know when God is disciplining us and when bad things are simply just happening because we live in a fallen world? Some big big questions on today's podcast. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. I'm Joseph Donofro, and I am the lead worship at Frontier Church, and I'm here with... Russell Dykey. Just plain old Andrew. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're a couple, we're two weeks into the Habakkuk Sermon Series right now. How's it going for you guys? It's been fun. I, I like how we've, you know, do a Habakkuk Sermon and then expound upon the next week one of the, the themes or topics that was in that Habakkuk reading uh, with the, you know, pairing that with the topical sermon has been really interesting. We've never done this type no. of sermon series before. I, Luke, I think Luke originally sent me this sermon series idea as just five weeks, five exegetical sermons from Habakkuk. And part of the way I think as an English teacher is, I, even if it's a really short book, I want to keep our imaginations centralized with one character and one story for a long amount of time until it really transforms us. So I was like, dude, could you stretch this into 10 weeks? And Luke, rather than forcing sermons from the text that aren't there, just added topical sermon series to complement each one. I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was brilliant, dude. Yeah, that was good. I'll give it to him. It was good. How's Thanks, it going? Luke. How's it going for you, Joseph? <laughs> um, Yanofro? I love <clears throat> I love it just because I I like the fact that we take small books and stretch them out over a long period of time. So for me it's like, oh cool, this is and I guess I'm I like the exegetical side of things just as a personal preference, but that gives me something to like look forward to every other week. And I, I guess I was kind of, I wondered what the topical side of the sermon series would look like. And then even, I mean, especially after this past Sunday, I was like, Oh man, this is absolutely perfection just in how it opens up a whole different side of um, how we look at Habakkuk and, and we can even take, I, I really like how he used Joseph and um mm, mm-hmm. and so it was it was very it was impactful for me, especially this past Sunday. But I, I'm and I look now I'm looking forward to even more the rest of the, the series just to see what what comes of that. So I feel a lot of freedom from the pulpit too. Like it's mm-hmm. really freeing for me as a preacher to know that there's gonna be a topical sermon series that follows my exegetical one. Because mm-hmm. it allows me to stay really focused in my exegesis. Yeah. So if you remember week one, like Knowing that Luke was going to preach a sermon on suffering and the sovereignty of God, that freed my exegetical work to only have to focus on the honest dialogue between Habakkuk and God. So if you think about that sermon I preached, like I literally didn't touch on, is it just of God to use the Chaldeans as discipline for Judah? 
Mm-hmm. Like I really focused on this is what honest dialogue with the Lord looks like. Because I just felt free to do that because I knew Luke was going to hit a home run right after me on that topic. So I felt like so much freedom. Yeah. Which is fun after doing an Advent series where you have to do a lot in you know one mm. sermon. Mm-hmm. Stretching yourself. So it's fun to have, yeah. I'm ex- I'm ex- I don't get to preach any, I think just out of Habakkuk. I think I have one of the topical uh, sermons here, coming up here in a couple of weeks. Oh, really? I know that I, I think I preached the first three exegetical ones, but I thought both you and Snowden got an exegetical one. I'll have to go back and look. Okay. I love that. No, I, I do. Yeah, yeah. I've got okay. later on. Yeah. Because you've got the you've got the you've got the That's the right. title yep. sermon. Yep, you've the, got the yet I will rejoice yes. text. <clears throat> That's right. That's yeah. Oh, dude, I you you got lucky on that one. <laughs> I'd love to say I gave it to you because I wanted to give it to you. I think that's state wrestling week. Yeah, it is. So I had to give it up. That's what we call God's providence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved how Luke, by the way, tied in the story of Joseph. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's what we read last week. If you're reading along with our, our annual scripture reading plan, so my community group was like, oh my gosh, this is everything we've been reading. I love this story of Joseph. I was so compelled by the story of Joseph this time around, though. I don't, we probably don't have time to talk about that, but do you guys, do you have anything to say, Self? Uh, um, I don't know. We kind of, when we had the elders and wives together, we were already talking about Joseph, and I had no idea mm. that was, uh, Luke was going to focus so much on Joseph, so that was cool. I had no idea he was using our elders and wives party to sermon prep. Yeah. Mm. What a turd. (laughs) (laughs) Smart guy. Yeah. No, this is why I love the reading plan is because we can, you know, you're getting biblical education through the reading plan. You're familiarizing yourself with God's word. And so whenever like one of those texts or one of the topics, one of the characters pops up in a sermon, you're like, oh, yeah, I know more about this guy than I ever had before. Oh, I know about this, you know, female biblical figure more than I ever had before because I read the whole narrative in one sitting or, you know, in the course of a few sittings. And yeah. then so now I understand more about what's going on in the preaching. Um, you know, it's it's a way, you know, as I read through it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, yeah. Yeah, for me as a church member, is good for me because I'm not just trying to outsource my uh, biblical knowledge or my worship to Cole or to Luke on Sundays when they preach. So that's why I think I love the Bible reading plan. Yeah, me too. It's like when they pop up in a sermon, it's like seeing a high school buddy across the room yeah. and being like, <laughs> I know him! I know that guy! <laughs> can anybody, can either of you dudes, can you rehash Donifro? Hmm. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Can you rehash God's plan to discipline Judah in the book of Habakkuk? God, God's plan to discipline Judah in the book you li- of you don't, don't look at your phone. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, he's going to use the Chaldeans. Yes. Like, and, and, and he's like, no. That, like, just what you were talking about in your sermon on, on his um, complaints. Because God tells him, and then he... Like you were saying, uh, no, like you, mm-hmm. that's not, that's not who you are. That's not what our, that's not our portion. And God kind of relays the message in another way, just to point out to Habakkuk, this is what's happening. So that's what, that's what, a, that's what I think is interesting about the narrative arc of the dialogue between God and Habakkuk is that it shatters an illusion of ours. And the illusion is, um, 
if only I knew exactly what God was doing in his providence, then I'd be happy. Yeah. Because mm. it, when the dialogue begins, Habakkuk is angry because he doesn't know what God is doing. He doesn't know where God is. And he's essentially saying, God, how can you just look at all this evil and not do anything? Mm-hmm. And the assumption is, if only you would apply logic to my life, that would take away the pain, God. Yeah. And then God lets him in and he says, this is what I'm doing. Here's your logic that you wanted for. And Habakkuk's second complaint is even angrier than his first complaint, mm-hmm. I think. And so it shatters the illusion that, oh, if God would just give me a logical answer, that would take away all of my pain. Yeah. Logic doesn't take away pain. Only the presence of God does that. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. I was yeah. thinking about uh, uh, William Cooper. He wrote a hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. Um, but it's a, it, while Luke was talking, anytime I think about uh, the story of Joseph, I think about this hymn. You know, he starts off and he says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fear, fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Mm. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is, is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Mm. Like, I love that hymn. Dang. It takes that huge uh, concept of God's sovereignty and not knowing what he wants and, you know, trying to holding on to him as hard as you can and you're wanting him to tell you what's going on. And so you may not like the answers that you get. Um, but that, I don't know, it's that thought of God being his own interpreter and him, him making it plain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we're going through suffering, we don't know what he's doing. Um, we may get a glimpse and we may not like what he's doing, but we'll, we'll, you know, find joy in the outcome of what he's doing. One. Yeah. That's that's good. We we may not even like what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Is I think that's so key because one of the questions I was asking mm-hmm. as I was studying a couple of weeks ago for the first sermon in Habakkuk is, okay, I know how Habakkuk feels about God's plan to raise up the Chaldeans to discipline Judah, but then I was like, I wonder how Judah feels. You know, the people of God, and um, it, I was reminded by something you said, Donna, for a, a couple of weeks ago. I think last week in our podcast, where you mentioned that Jeremiah was a contemporary of Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I wonder if there's anything in Jeremiah about God's plan to raise up the Chaldeans as a judgment on Judah. And there is. So I was I was shocked by that. So here's, hmm. and it tells us how Judah as a nation feels. This is Jeremiah 16. He says, and when you tell this people all these words and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? So God tells us how they feel. They're going to say, why? Hmm. Why is this going to happen? What's our iniquity? What could you possibly find wrong? And God goes on to say in Jeremiah, Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, and have gone after other gods and have served and worshiped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land 
that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods day in and day out, for I will show you no favor. Oh, hmm. not uh, not too pretty. Mm-mm. They're like, what? What could? What could we possibly be doing wrong? He's like, well, you've broken your covenant with me. You're worshiping other gods. You're building them temples. You're making child sacrifices to these gods. You're 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 using prostitutes as sacrifices to these gods. What do you What do you mean? What wrong could I possibly find in you? Mm-hmm. And I I know that that's kind of a heavy text, and it it gets heavier. So later on, I think this is, I think that this is Jeremiah twenty one. He describes to Jeremiah exactly what it's going to be like when he raises up the Chaldeans as a as a discipline onto them. Here's how, here's how it reads in, in Jeremiah. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to the king, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together in the midst of this city and I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and a strong arm, in anger and in fury and in great wrath. Whoa. (laughs) So God says, when you guys try to fight against the Chaldeans, I'm going to stomp your weapons, and I'm going to fight on the side of the Chaldeans against you. And so I thought Habakkuk was heavy, but Jeremiah is like, heavier in this. And so so my I I have some questions about this that I need to process. Like let's let's just try to be in their shoes for a second. Um if if you were a part of Judah, how would the discipline of the Lord impact your view of God? You're thinking about the Chaldeans licking their lips, sharpening their swords, and you hear about God's plan to let them in. How, like how does that do you guys do you guys apostatize? Do you turn away from the Lord? Do you worship the Lord? What's your response to this? Yeah, it'd be interesting to, you know, the righteous remnant in Judah. Like, what? Like that's where I go, just because I'm self righteous, and like that's where that's where I go. Like, mm-hmm. how would, if I was, let's take that mm-hmm. one character. What would you like to be a righteous person who's like, hey, I've remained faithful to Yahweh, but now I'm gonna have to. You know, it's like team punishment. I, because of my teammates doing, you know, acting crazy and worshiping other gods and sacrificing their children, I'm trying to raise my kids to be a, an observer of the Torah, and I'm yeah, having to, yeah. I'm having mm-hmm. to reap the fruit that someone else has planted. Like I, I've been doing the right thing. Why are you punishing me, God? And so I think I would probably, if that were me, I would, yeah, I would be very, I would be angry with the Lord. Like, why are you punishing me? Yeah, I've done yeah. the right thing. Um. You know, it's like my kids, whenever one of them, you know, complains about the TV show that the other one chose, then, okay, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? We're going to turn the TV off. And so one of the kids gets, you know, loses out on something Uh-oh. they were enjoying yeah. because of the, you know, back and forth that they were taking part in. So I think if I was a righteous person in Judah, I would be, I would be mad. I'd have a lot of questions to God. Why are you, why are you involving me in this? Um, but I think that's because, you know, we're, we're not a... Christians aren't a part of a you know a nation state where like this is the Christian nation, right? Where, where right. we're all corporately responsible for what takes place inside the nation. So 
I don't know, maybe the righteous person in Judah may have said, well, even that text that you read, who knows if they were righteous or not. They probably just thought, well, because Yahweh is the king of the people of Israel, of Judah, then we're okay. He's not going to do anything to us. He'll let these other people do whatever they want, but he's not going to discipline us because we're his people. So like this mm. sense of entitlement of, God, you owe us this because we are your people. We've got this, we're a part of the same bloodline, um, so... So you can't discipline us. You can't punish us. You can't do these things to us. I don't I don't think it's wrong of you to read yourself into the text as a righteous one though. Like um as long as you do it with humility cuz you're you're a Christian in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when you identify with God's people in the past, you should identify yourself with a faithful remnant. So I think that's actually faithful remnant, not remnant. <laughs> remnant. Remnant. Ruminate. Good job. <laughs> So I think I, I think that's right. What about you? Well, hold on. Um, have you ever experienced team punishment on a team you were on? Oh yeah. Mm. Yep. What was that like? Miserable. You know, taking place in the Texas sun. You know, I played football for for a while, and so whenever yeah, mm-hmm. we, for every you know penalty, we'd have to run so many laps or so many you know forty yard dashes, and so you know yeah. puking your guts out because. Some offensive lineman, you know, got a false start, and you're like, "Come on, dude!" You know, every time somebody would get a penalty, you're like, "I know it's going to come at the end of this game, and mm-hmm. I know it's going to come at practice. I'm going to have to, you know, pay the price for this for this guy who wasn't paying attention or didn't remember the snap count." You know what the worst ones were? I don't know if you ever experienced this one, but uh, the worst ones were uh, when the offender had to watch the punishment. Oh. So, like. Yeah. If I remember one time there were there were two dudes who got caught chewing tobacco on the football bus and they were forced to watch while the rest of the team ran sprints for them. And that does a different thing to you psychologically. That like that's worse. Yeah. That's worse. That's worse. Yeah. Yeah, My, that one is yeah. That's next. That's the next tier of of corporate punishment of and, taking the offenders out and be like, look oh what you're causing your team to do. Your your decisions and your mistakes impact the rest of us. My favorite punishment though was, uh, and I and I have to preface it by saying this because I'm a coach. And I don't ever do anything like this with with my team. So don't worry. I'm not doing this type of stuff with like the wrestlers. I'm just saying as a high school football player, this was my favorite punishment. There were two dudes who couldn't get along and they kept arguing with each other while the coaches were trying to show a play. And so they made those two guys run laps while holding hands. (laughs) (laughs) That was the best thing ever. Yep. That was the best. To be the onlooker. <laughs> Look at those guys. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Okay, I, sorry. I've forced the conversation away from the original content. Um, we're, we're talking about how you would respond as you learn about the plan of God's, God's plan to raise up the Chaldeans as, as, as a discipline on Judah. How, like, how would you feel? Joseph, mm. would you apostatize? Would you turn your back on God? Would you continue to worship him? What's your gut level react? Don't give us like the response you think you should have. I'm interested in your gut level response. I mean, I think naturally it'd be like, well, probably terrified, honestly, because you're, you're like, oh no, this is coming. And now what? What do I, what do I need to do to prepare for this? And, and so... Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's like figuring out like, okay, there's a lot of 
factors involved here. Like everybody's going to feel the weight of this. And so how do I, how, do I, how do I avoid as much of this as possible? I think I would run. Like I would try to figure out a way out. Sure. Not, yeah. And that's what I like gut feeling. I'd probably like take, take it and be like, okay, I'm gone. I got to figure out a way to find another home somewhere else. And let's just like go and do that and be us and call it a day. And maybe, maybe that's, that's my like initial thought process. My hope is that I would, I would think of generations past knowing all of the things that have happened before me. Like there were, there was wickedness in the fold of the Lord over time, yet he was always faithful to, to come and bring them full circle. Mm -hmm. And so trusting the faithfulness of the Lord is what I, I would hope that I would look to in, in generations past and fall on my face and pray, find people to like, to intercede. Oh Lord, please. Mm -hmm. So to be found, to be found faithful in that, um, which is, I really loved how he tied in Joseph as a man of faith. Um, because he had been through so much over the course of his life and there really was nobody to turn to, but he was a man of faith. And that's something that personally I have even prayed over Joseph Levi since he's been, since he was born is something that I felt like was very like strong to, to pray over my children, that they would be men and women of faith um, so that mm-hmm. they wouldn't be shaken. Uh, and so that's, that's my, my gut reaction is probably not. <laughs> it's what I don't want, but I probably would be in that position, and then I would hope that I would kind of like settle and be like, okay, wait a minute, I got to think about this a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's good. I think that's good because I think there would be a hole in your plan to run somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think at this point in time, self, I might be wrong, but I think the other half of Israel is currently in captivity while this is going on, right? Yeah, that's what I was gonna like. Uh, so you can't go there. Yeah. Because um, in the beginning of Je- or Jeremiah three, God metaphoric, he, there's this parable of God sending divorce papers to Israel. Oh, okay. Hmm. So he, wow. He, yeah, so his yeah, because of your apostasy, I'm you know he doesn't divorce Israel, but there's this parable about God, you know, the prophet Jeremiah using this language of well, what happens when a wife is unfaithful or a husband's unfaithful? Divorce. Wow. So mm-hmm. this is, you should see the wickedness of your ways and how you've been the unfaithful lover in this covenant with, with Yahweh. And so he, he should divorce you. He's going to separate you from himself. I feel like I need to shut this podcast off and do a close reading of Jeremiah. <laughs> I don't feel like I've ever done a close reading of Jeremiah. I think I've blasted through it 10 times. And that's shocking to me that that's in the Bible. Yeah, it's... Uh, Jeremiah wow. three six. Then Yahweh said hmm. to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what apostate Israel has done? She has gone on every hill and under every leafy tree, and she has prostituted herself there. And I thought, after doing all of these things to me, she will return. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for this very reason, that on account of apostate Israel committing adultery, I divorced her and gave the letter of divorce Hmm. to her. Yet her treacherous sister Judah was not afraid, and she went and prostituted herself also. And it was because of the frivolity of her fornication that she defiled the land and committed adultery with the stone and with the tree. Yet, even in all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only 
in pretense, declares Yahweh. Hmm. So what God is saying is, this same thing went down with the other half of Israel, and Judah didn't even learn from it. Mm -hmm. She went and did the same thing. So you can't run there. And the other problem is you can think about like, well, Babylon's going to win, so maybe I'll just I'll just integrate to Babylon and mm-hmm. become a, a Babylonian. The hole in your plan, of course, is um, Habakkuk chapter 2 and 3, where, <laughs> spoiler alert, God is going to pronounce woes and judgments upon Babylon's future <laughs> demise too. Yep. So there's just kind of like nowhere to run, right? Yeah. Am I forgetting like another bordering nation that is like Eden or something like that? I don't think I am. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm glad that even though that's your gut level, like yeah. your your honest, like, hey, let's repent, and because yeah. that's what Nineveh does when they hear about God's coming wrath, they repent and God turns away. Yeah, where do we go? I mean, like, it's like a where do we go? Like, how do we get out of out of this? I mean, when I say like run away, I don't think it's too anywhere in, in like specifically. It's like get into the wilderness and just hide and farm some land and just call it a day. But I'm sure that that is found out eventually because, you know, they're conquering everywhere they can possibly get their feet on. So, <laughs> Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. in the text. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He called, like the rest of Jeremiah 3 is this big call to repentance. Yeah, from the Lord. And yeah. they don't. They don't. He, he it says, return apostate Israel, declares mm-hmm. Yahweh. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am loyal, declares Yahweh. I will not be angry forever. Mm-hmm. Just acknowledge your guilt. And they yeah. don't. I think yes, it's that's right. That's right. And I think it's fear of being apart from the Lord. The thought that he's with me, he's with us, and now he's not going to be. He's going to be on the other side of that. Like, I don't want to be separated from you, Lord. That's and so the the fear of that, because you know. From before, being on the other side of the stick is not a good place to be when you're dealing with Yahweh. So, yeah. And I just wonder what it would would have been like to hear Yahweh say, I'm going to fight on the side of the Chaldeans against you. I'm going to be mm-hmm, in that dude. war, and I'm going to be on their side. Because one of the central identity-shaping forces and narratives and stories that they would have had as Israelites would have been the angel of the Lord fighting on their behalf in the wilderness before the Red Mm -hmm. Sea. That's who they were. The angel of the Lord fought for them. The angel of the Lord conquered the Egyptians and provided for them. And all of a sudden, they're beginning to think about this future where the angel of the Lord is present in warfare, Mm -hmm. and he's on the side of the Chaldeans. And that's everything that's the opposite of their identity as a chosen people. Yeah, I don't know. Would they have thought of it that way? Probably. I would like to think so. You, you hear these, you know, you've got these codified stories of of Yahweh waging war against Egypt, like mm-hmm. one of the most powerful nations in history. As a child, you grew up hearing that before yeah. going yeah. to bed as an Israelite. You know, and he just topples Egypt over like it's a little, you know, kid's plaything. So so if he can do that, then just the intensity that he fought Egypt with, now he's going to be fighting you with that intensity. Mm-hmm. He's gonna make sure. Great. He's gonna make sure. He's going to make sure that the Chaldeans overthrow Judah. There's got to be a sense of sorrow too in some in some pocket of. I know that like it's pretty clear they're like, and we are worshiping everybody but you right now. But I'm sure that there's a pocket of people in the midst of that group that's like, we, oh Lord, please have mercy. I don't know if it ever touches on that, but. Um, 
I don't know. So Sunday I'll touch on that. Okay, cool. But there is a little pocket of hope in Habakkuk. Yeah. I mean, so in the second chapter, he does leave in this caveat where he says, and you could argue this is the central thrust of the book, um, but he does say, the righteous shall live by faith. Mm. Yeah. That is his way of saying, there can be a faithful remnant, yeah. and this can go well for you by faith alone. I don't want to give that away, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah I mean, well, you got Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Like, you know, he's mm-hmm. seeing all of this wickedness of Israel. Mm-hmm. He knows what's going on in Judah. And it's like, what's going on? Like, all of God's people are have, you know, turned astray. <sighs> so Jeremiah is weeping and Habakkuk is arguing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think like as contemporaries, like I feel like Jeremiah would, I feel like Jeremiah would correct Habakkuk. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's a little <laughs> bit too out of the box. I just wonder if Jeremiah's like, dude, why aren't you crying? Like, why are you arguing right now? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, and you know, you've got these, the prophets, they would, they had their own disciples as well. Mm-hmm. So you had these groups of people who are, you know, basically writing down the sermons that the prophets are preaching and, you know, declaring to Judah or to Israel. So you've got these groups of people who, yeah, who just got to be, you know, the, the righteous people who are just, you know, we've got a whole book on what takes place from Jeremiah. You've got Lamentations, mm-hmm. you know, a series of poems of, you know, sorrowful poems about the wickedness of Israel and about the you know, what God brings about on Israel and on Judah for what they had done. So what I have to know, because Donna Fro, you mentioned this, like just in passing a couple minutes ago, you talked about like prepping for it mm-hmm. just in passing. Yeah. You're a, a bit of a doomsday prepper self. Yeah. Would you do anything in preparation for this? If you were a part of Judah yeah, again, again, the, the, the image that I've used is, all of a sudden, you know that the Chaldeans are licking their lips, they're sharpening their swords, and God tells you it's going down. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I would like to, yeah, I, I definitely would have been like, all right, we've got to start stockpiling some stuff. we got to, you know, maybe find a knife to hide somewhere. So if then they try to come from my family, I can maybe stand a chance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the hopelessness of, okay, well, yeah, mm-hmm. Egypt's over here and they killed our last king, so... They're probably not going to, you know, provide any safe harbor for us. So just being surrounded by people who hate you and who mm-hmm. don't care about you, there's nothing, there's not, not, not much you could do. Yeah, so repent, except for repent. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's, that's all right. you can do. That's right, because you know, even the knife example, which I, I think is, I think is legitimate. Um, um, but God ha- has a response for that. He says, "I'm gonna turn back your weapons." Mm-hmm. So He's going to mm-hmm. strip away every opportunity to defend yourself, besides. Repentance. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Hmm. Things have become so bad that the people aren't going to repent. So God has to punish the nation, discipline the nation, so that future generations would repent and would be faithful to Him. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine how like how bad things have to get to where God is like, okay, well, I'm going to bring up this army and they're going to kill kill you, exile you, oppress you, so that you guys will re- repent. Because I, I'm going to make sure that my people repent. I'm going to make sure that my people follow me. You know, if you think about Noah and the world gets so wicked that God has to wipe out humanity and save a, a couple of people, save a few mm-hmm. people, yeah. so that humans can be faithful to, to Yahweh again. Like, it's just a similar thing. You've got a flood of another nation's army about to cover your land. And Judah is there. 
And I feel like we got to like circle around a little bit and just remind our church where Judah is at as a nation. Mm. Judah is not like, they're not just like saying some cuss words and getting a little (laughs) bit drunk. Okay. Like on a regular day, if you walked outside of Judah, you would witness pagan worshipers building temples to other gods. You would witness babies being burned alive as child sacrifices to these gods, Mm. which Yahweh is voraciously opposed to in every sense from beginning to end, Old Testament to New Testament. That's the image of God. Um, You're seeing temple prostitution happen. Like, so like, I guess I want our church to see like Judah is, I want to be careful the way I say this, but I want to be honest. Judah, I think, is further down the road than, than America is. And Andrew, you're right to, to point out the fact that America is not the new Israel. It's not the new Judah. And so we shouldn't expect for God to deal with America the way that he does with Judah. Um, so I guess I'm just bringing some clarity to the conversation that I think is important because my worry is that we're hearing, our church members are hearing us say like, hey, God is raising up the Chaldeans as a form of discipline and judgment on Judah and our church members are thinking, Oh my gosh, is he going to send the Chaldeans against us? Hmm. So how would you respond to that? Like if God disciplined Judah like that in the past, will God discipline me like that right now? Yeah. I mean, I, before we started recording, I was, you, Cole, I was talking with you about how, you know, you just like people are afraid that there's a demon around every corner that's causing all your problems. You can Mm -hmm. also think you can also have that same mindset of, okay, is everything that goes wrong in my life? Is that God's discipline? This is such an important conversation. If I were a listener, I would really die in right (laughs) now. Is this, you know, (laughs) is this broken thing, uh, a little mini Chaldean that God's using to overtake me? Like, and so that's not a healthy place for your mind to be. And so if you're someone who struggles with legalism, um, self persecution, um, self-judgment uh you don't need to be in the the framework of is is everything that goes wrong in life god disciplining me like i so <clears throat> i've had some uh sewage uh, back up in my basement chaldeans yeah <laughs> <Many> chaldeans <laughs> yeah like is this you know I, i'm literally down there i'm doing everything i can to try to fix this problem mm-hmm. but i i can't so i'm going to call a plumber to come and fix this problem so there's not poop water in my basement like it's like i mm. I just, like think everything smells like a turd right now. So, mm-hmm. but I'm like, while I'm down there, you know, trying to snake this drain out, I'm thinking, is this God's p- disciplining me for something that I did or something that I mm. didn't do? Like that's my, my mind goes there pretty easily. Cause I'm just like, man, nothing like nothing's right with this house. You know, I move in here and water comes in from the ceiling. Mm-hmm. I bought this house in this particular neighborhood to be missional and to be close to church members you know, then I've got trees falling down and then, all, you know, all these other things happen. And then now I've got poop water in my basement. Like, is this God's, is God disciplining me in this moment? And I don't know. I, that, that's the honest answer. I don't know. Um, but I can tell you, I, as I was thinking through that, I was like, but I think that's even a healthy answer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like, so then I'm like, okay, well, how do I, how do I take this thought, hold it captive submit it mm-hmm. unto Christ. Like, what do I, what do I need to do? So that it, it did force me to think, is there something that I need to repent of that I've not been paying attention to? Like, um, not because I'm like, God, he put poop water in my basement to discipline me. I mm-hmm. don't know if he did or didn't, but it definitely caused me to reflect and be like, mm-hmm. am I doing business with the Lord? Like, am I repenting? So, you know, I'm like, 
God, is there something hidden in my heart that I don't even know about right now? Reveal that to me. So that's so healthy though. So yeah, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I don't always take it to that place. I don't hold those yeah. thoughts captive sometimes and make them submit to, to Christ. I'll just use that as well. I can't do anything right. And so I deserve all this. And so everything in life that's wrong is God's discipline is God's punishment. God is so unhappy with me that he'll, he'll, you know, tear my house apart to get my attention. Yeah, and, and, and that assumption, I think, is really common in Christians. And it's, a, it's an assumption that in the New Testament, Jesus flat-out rebukes. Mm-hmm. Like in, in John 9, there's this story, which is beautiful. It says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So what's the assumption? They see this blind man and they think, oh, this is God disciplining either this guy or his father for his sin. And Jesus says, it was not this man that sinned or his parents. He's blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Mm. That is so beautiful, man. Jesus Mm. is like, every bad thing that happens to people in this world is not because of personal sin. Sometimes bad things simply happen to people in a fallen world. And God is sovereign over it, and he's going to display his might in it. Yeah. But I think that's a really important story to get lodged into the hearts of Frontier Church members, Mm -hmm. that sometimes bad things just happen because the world is fallen and sinful. Yeah. Yeah, not everything is God punishing you or disciplining you, you know. But he he definitely would—God will go, as we see uh, throughout the course of the Scriptures, he will do whatever in his providential mind— where he sees everything going on at one point and calculates all predictabilities. He will do whatever it takes to get his people to repent. He'll do whatever it takes to, to get his people to be where they need to be. Um, so like, but like when I think about that, it's like, okay, this comes in, you know, Pharaoh serves as a good example of this, of his hard hardness of heart. Mm-hmm. So yeah. God just increases the the temperature of, of Pharaoh's hard heartedness so that he could, you know, it's, it's so, it's, it's so counterintuitive. You send a dude to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, but then you don't let him let your people go. Why? Right. To show his his glory, to show his power. Right. Um, yeah. And so that's what you have with like, this promise to bring in the Chaldeans. God's saying, I'm going to manifest my power by letting my people be re-enslaved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show Israel how much I care about their the flourishing of their souls and their faithfulness and they're finding their joy in me that I'll, I'll go to, I'll go to great lengths to make that happen. Yeah. Um, and Joseph is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Like Joseph's Mm -hmm. awareness at the end of everything he's gone through is incredible. When in Genesis 50, 20, he says, you guys meant all of this for evil, but God meant it for good Mm -hmm. so that many people would be saved as a result of this. Mm -hmm. I was reading, um, I was reading an, unbelievable book about that part. And uh, have you guys heard of Joseph in the Way of Forgiveness? Mm-mm. It was written by Stephen Mitchell, not a Christian, but wonderfully in tune with the book of Genesis. Mm. It's a retelling of the Joseph story in fictional form, and it is beautifully written. I only read the first couple chapters, and I, I'm going to go back and buy it. Um, but I read the chapter where he explains that. And and he gives the example of faith. The way that, the way that this dude explains faith is he describes it as the awareness that God will use ugly puzzle pieces for the sake of a beautiful puzzle. Hmm. That he will... Hmm. Well, that, so that's my interpretation. He used mosaic. He'll use ugly 
pieces of the mosaic to form a beautiful full mosaic. And he said, faith is Joseph's awareness of the difficult times in his life as being a part of the mosaic and not the whole mosaic. Anytime we separate a moment of time from the sequence of redemptive history and examine it apart from its context, we can always think that it's evil, but it never exists apart from its context in the eyes of God. It always exists as the whole mosaic. Mm -hmm. And Joseph is able to do that by saying, hey, these bad things happened to me so that people in Egypt would be saved from a famine. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. God was in control of it. And that's faith. I was like... I was about ready to cry at Barnes & Noble reading that. And I, I just thought it was so wonderfully sad. That's awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, and then, because, you know, then, like, I wonder if people ever thought this, if they thought, if if Joseph's brothers hadn't sold him into slavery and went into Egypt, uh, would we not have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years? Because that's what happens, what happens later on. Yeah, yeah. Is the, the, yeah. The, you know, mm. the Egyptian leaders, they forget about who Joseph was, and so then they don't care about these, you know, these Hebrews. So it's really interesting to see how, yeah, how those things, how that, how that worked. It's just so weird reading Genesis then Exodus, because, mm. dude, I mean, the way it turns, like mm. everything's like great and gravy in, in Egypt. Like, you know, Joseph has favor. He's like, like a freaking king there, yep. man. And then all of a sudden Exodus begins by saying, and a new king arose and he knew not Joseph. Uh-huh. And you're like... Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, what's going to go down? Yeah. I mean, Man. it might be also helpful for us for this conversation to define punishment and define discipline, because I think that's yeah. really important for, for Christians to, yes. to think through that, that grid. So how would you, Cole, how would you, mm. I want to, Cole, you define punishment and Joseph, you define discipline, and then I'll oh, correct goody. both of you. Um, <laughs> I equate punishment with wrath. Mm-hmm. So when when God punishes somebody, he is he is justly causing someone to experience the penalty of their sin. And I think that that word is important, the penalty of their sin, mm-hmm. the penalty and the consequences of their sin, mm-hmm. which I think are two different things. Mm-hmm. The consequences of sin might be that your wife catches you not looking at the right thing on your computer. Mm-hmm. The penalty of sin is an eternity in hell, yeah. mm-hmm. and so punishment is both of those things. It's the consequence and it's the and it's the penalty. That's good. What about mm-hmm. you, Donna So with discipline, we um, we were actually talking about this before I came over. Um, there's, it's like the way that I think about it is there's love and there's a lot more evidence of love involved in the discipline side of things. There's a correction and a walking. It's almost like a teaching point. Um, whereas with punishment and for me personally with punishment, it's wrath, but like, like I I feel like punishment for me was like a bad thing. Wrath, not involving the Lord at all. Like I was just like, Oh, it was always like a bad, bad thing. And with discipline, I always felt like, okay, there's hope after this. I just have to like be attentive and pay attention to what's happening and, and correct my wrongs so that I can move forward in life or whatever I was dealing with. So, Mm -hmm. so love really is like the kind of key factor to me in discipline is like you, there is, there is correction happening, but it, there's a lot less of an intensity with the punishment side of it. So. Yeah, punishment is stop doing that, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna, you get up, you know, your wrist smacked. Mm-hmm. Discipline is 
hey, don't do that. Here's what you need to do instead. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dunford, I think it's so important. You use the word love a lot in in your definition of discipline, which the Bible, the biblical writers are obsessed with making that connection, right? So like mm-hmm. Hebrews 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves mm-hmm. and he chastises every son whom he receives. Or Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So mm-hmm. you, uh, like the way that you described that was like very by the book, like, hey, discipline is... It's God's love in action. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. He's withholding the penalty of your sin, which is condemnation and wrath, and yet He's still allowing you to reap the consequences of your mm-hmm. sin to shape you out of yeah. love into the image of Jesus. What is there anything you would add to that, self? I I, <clears throat> I love how Paul in Romans one and two, but it's mainly in two because we don't have time to unpack all of that from from chapter one. But Paul is saying, hey, do you do you despise the fact that God's kindness, his loving kindness, his loyal love for us leads us to repentance? And so thinking through like what you're saying with love, mm-hmm. um, it's God, it's an act of kindness that God pours out on us whenever he disciplines us because he wants us to be in the right standing, right and good standing relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So he will discipline you out of kindness. Mm-hmm. And I think if you, anybody who's listening, if you have kids, like you get this concept of mm-hmm. punishment and discipline. Yes, you do. And if, if you don't have children, this might may sound foreign to you, but if you have kids, you totally get it. Yeah. And you realize that um, on your bad days, you're just punishing. You're not disciplining. Like, and I don't mean like spanking. I mean, just like if I just tell my kid to stop doing something, if they're getting on my nerves or if mm-hmm. they're doing something they're not supposed to be doing, I, I, I punish them just by saying, stop doing that or go to your room. That's not, yeah. that's not me disciplining them. It can yeah. be a part of a matrix of discipline, but in that, you know, in just the instance of stop doing that, don't hit your brother, don't hit your sister. That's just, I'm just punishing them. Mm-hmm. Discipline and me loving them would be like, Hey, you know that God created us, Right. Okay, you know that God loves you and God loves your sister just the same, and mom and dad love you guys just the same. So you should love one another because God loves you. That's discipline, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. that's trying to, that's attempting to to sow seeds to reap good fruit in the yeah. in this proper time. That's good. So I want to touch on that a little bit even more because Piper brought up something in an article that I thought was fantastic, and I never even thought about this, but. You're talking about discipline as an expression of God's kindness. And Piper goes on to say that oftentimes God's kindness is the means by which he disciplines. Mm. So God's discipline, in other words, is not always the spank. Sometimes it's the smile. So mm-hmm. I'm going to use Piper's example. Mm. We have to talk about this. This is so good. This I guess is so we're good. talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's the illustration that Piper uses. He says, one time I got really mad at Noel, his wife, because I found a whole crate of rotten pears in the garage. <laughs> I just wouldn't get mad about a typical that. Piper. <laughs> I like that would struggle. Like, like, really, the pears, dude. That just wouldn't <clears throat> make me mad. Like, whatever. He must have wanted them. He said, "Yeah." He said this was about thirty-five years ago when we were still teaching. She had forgotten this fruit she had bought, and it just rotted in the garage. And I went to her and I said, "What is with the pears?" <laughs> She said, oh, I forgot them. And he said, a whole crate of pears just rotted in the garage. I just, I just feel like this is an overreaction. Um, and he, he said, as I went on and on and on about the pears, and I was getting down on her like I had never done anything like that before. And she kind of went back to her bedroom. She's hurt, and I'm mad as all get out. And to kill some time, I pick up the garbage, and t- I take it outside to put it by the street because it's garbage pickup day. 
And this is what Piper goes on to say while he's taking the garbage out after this exchange. He said, he said, when I got to the driveway, the sun was as bright and as glorious as it could be. The sky was blue and a sweet breeze was blowing on my face. And I stopped and I cried. I just cried because God was kissing me on the cheek after that rotten attitude and it broke me like nothing else. You know, he could have caused a car to careen over the curb and smack me into the hospital, and he would have been absolutely right to do so. But instead, he smiled upon me. Hmm. So the point here is that God disciplines us out of his goodness, and he's always doing things for our good. And his discipline is both his smile and his spank. I had never thought about that before. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Because, yeah, I mean, discipline is an ongoing process, and you can use different you know, tools and different methods within that. Um, whereas punishment would just be a one-time, you know, event. Like, just go to, you're going to, we're going to, you broke the law, so we're going to throw you in jail. Um, like one, you know, one sentence uh, for, for a crime. But yeah, the discipline would, yeah, that's, that puts uh, some good words to things that I've been, I've been thinking. Yeah. Like- how you love your kids every day. You Or this is a good example. You putting your kids to bed on time, you know, every night, like that's you disciplining them and loving them so that when they wake up and the, the next day, they can function how they need to function. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like when I'm in my home and I'm emotionally distant and emotionally absent from my kids and my wife, and I'm sitting on the chair, just scrolling through my iPhone, God would be perfectly holy and righteous to discipline me by giving me a kink in my neck. But sometimes sends my son over to me. My son crawls up on my lap, pushes the phone out of my hand and hugs me. Mm -hmm. And I've never thought, oh, God is disciplining me. Thank you for this. Mm -hmm. Like, that's amazing. That's good. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Thanks, Piper. Thanks, John. (laughs) Yep. Also, let's not go as hard on the pears next time, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Apples, I can understand, but the pears. Oh, man. So he let's let's do. Do you feel like have we brought enough clarity for our church members on the difference between discipline and wrath? I think so. Yeah, you guys feel good about that. Yeah, let's do a quick text blast. I've got five different texts from the Bible about God's discipline. Let's blast through these. Let's just give general thoughts about them. Here's Hebrews chapter twelve verse six: For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. You guys have any thoughts on that? I think, yeah, that's what we've just said. Like, if you don't love your kids, you're not going to discipline them. So mm-hmm. if God didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. Like, So I think, that, yeah, I think that's important to always remember. Yeah. You feel the same way, Donahoe? Yeah. Anything else? Hebrews chapter 12, 11. For the moment, in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But mm-hmm. later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Mm-hmm. Guys, have any thoughts? Any comment comments on that? I mean, yeah. I mean, in my experience with discipline, that's that rings true a lot of the time because that you're you're in trouble. You've done something wrong. Maybe you're acting out of selfishness or whatever, and you get told no and someone walks you through why this is not okay. And it's like, you're grumpy about it. You're sad 
sometimes you're ashamed of what's happened and you're like in a bad place. But then to look back on that and, and say, Oh yeah, like here I am now I'm a better person because of the discipline that I received. Thank you, Lord. So there's like a rejoicing in the, in the next phase of, of discipline. I think that that's, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Would you add anything to that self? Yeah. I mean, I've, um, been, been disciplining myself by what I eat. I've been eating better things and not eating bad things. And so, yeah, it's not pleasant. Like we, you know, I, in my neighborhood, there's just nothing but convenient fast food that tastes delicious for a moment. But, you know, as I'm driving on my way here, you know, I'm driving past all these, you know, billboards with burgers on the sign and Mm. all this French fries and tacos and all this stuff. And I'm like, I would really love one of those right now. So the act of driving past all those and waiting till I get home, um, and then, you know, eating something healthy, it's not pleasant, but I want to live a healthy life and I want to have more energy so I can be a better dad. And I don't want to have a heart attack when I'm 35. So Mm -hmm. it's not pleasant right now, but it's, it it will, it reaps a a reward. Mm -hmm. This red line's gotten, got to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, Thank you, Redline. Yes. Oh, gosh. Can you hear that? Oh, you guys don't have headphones. That's right. <laughs> the listeners can definitely hear it. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm disciplining my eating habits so that I can reap a reward. Yeah. I, I want to be healthy. God's mm-hmm. given me a body. I want to make it healthier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's just experientially true, too. Yeah. Like the fact that discipline feels unpleasant in the time, but it produces joy and godliness in mm-hmm. the long run. Yeah. Um, like the the example that came to my mind was when I flick my kids on the wrist to keep them off of the road in the street. Like mm-hmm. in the moment to my kids, it seems unfair to them. Why, why does that seem unfair? Well, it seems unfair to them because the pain of the nerves from the little flick seems more real to them than the danger of being flattened by a car. Yeah. It seems more real. It's not. The danger of a passing car is infinitely greater than a little flick. And uh, it's just true of us, too. Like the, the pain of God disciplining us seems more real than the danger of worshiping another God. But mm-hmm. it, it, it's not. All we feel is the flick on the wrist, not knowing that God is sparing us from being flattened by a car, mm-hmm. sparing us from the infinite mm-hmm. misery and unhappiness and joylessness of serving other futile gods. And so it's just seems painful in the moment because we don't have perspective. Yeah. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> I love it when the Bible talks in ways that you can't. <laughs> Said the S word. <laughs> well, Joseph Levi would let you know, too. <laughs> Daddy said a bad word. <laughs> yeah, I think that one's just pretty self-explanatory. But like, but I think that's where where we have to. That's the the mindset to take on. It's like you know, if you're if you're studying something, like you have to love the act of studying so you can properly appreciate you know the knowledge that you gain. Mm-hmm. So I guess when I when I'm trying to correct my kids, that's what I you know try to tell them. Hey, I'm telling you this, so. Like with Malachi, he just always looks at his feet when he walks and he winds up tripping somehow. He's paying attention to his feet. I'm like, hey, buddy, you got to keep your head up so you can see other people. You can see cars. You can see where you need to walk, Mm. where you don't need to walk. 
so like you know trying to that's a just mm. a simple explanation simple uh, illustration of that but i want him to love the wisdom i try to give him because when he accumulates that wisdom he can pass it on he can leave you know live a, a more fruitful and rewarding life i think it's possible too like i think i think you can get to a place where you love discipline Mm-hmm. athletes get to a place where they love hitting the wall because they know that joy is right past breaking that wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You get to a place where you love reading because you know that the Lord is going to meet you with some amazing thoughts that glorify Him. Mm-hmm. I've ne- I haven't always been a reader. It wasn't really until college. And I just think it's possible to like love discipline. Yep. Mm. You can love it. If you yeah have a good definition of what discipline is. Mm-hmm. Then you can, yeah, yeah, you can love it. Because if you just think God's discipline is Him inflicting pain on you at all mm-hmm. times, then you're yeah. gonna you hear that hear that word discipline. And it just it only has a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, in the moment, I'd rather just order two McDoubles and a McChicken and mm-hmm. slam that in five minutes than go home and you know cook a steak because that takes thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. But putting in that work to get that steak nice and tasty, you're like, oh, that was definitely worth it. I don't feel like trash as well. <laughs> Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about um, disciplining, and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast about experiences and athletics. But I was thinking about when I have to discipline the wrestlers, right? And like in the moment when they have to do sprints and push ups, it, it just seems unfair. But like, wh- why does it seem unfair to high schoolers? Because it, being winded by sprints or feeling your arms give out because of your push-ups seems more real in the moment than the pain of regretting that you didn't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. Right? They they don't have friends like we do who sit around in bars and talk about all that they could have done and all that they could have mm-hmm. been if they had just worked hard at football mm-hmm. or worked hard as wrestlers. And what they don't know is that the pain of disappointment is way worse than the pain of sprints and, yeah. and push-ups. What they don't realize is that the the joy of a gold medal is way better than the pain of a difficult practice mm-hmm. or extra push-ups. Yep. Plus, high school kids don't pay bills, so they don't <laughs> they don't pay taxes. They don't realize that there are harder things than physical exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's 1 Corinthians. This actually fits in with what you were saying about the burgers, about self-discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, Paul says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I think I shared mine earlier. So Paul's kind of saying, like, yeah. I love discipline, and I'll beat the Lord to the punch. I'll discipline myself before the Lord... Even disciplines me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's because well, that's what you're trying to do with your kids when you flick them on the wrist so they don't walk in the street. To the, so they can get to a point of being like, "Oh, I know that pain can happen here, so I'm going to discipline myself and stay in the yard, and not run out into the street." Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Well, and even to your point, like with athletes that like get to that, there's like a breaking point. They know that if they work through this, then so you're like. You're not at practice. You're on your own. You want to be a better athlete. So you put yourself in those positions. You discipline yourself in those positions on your own. So you're a better athlete on the field with your team as well. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're taking yourself to the, to the next level 
aside from, and then when you're with everyone else, it's like, Oh, he put an extra time for this because he wanted to be better. He, he, he longed to be, um, you know, better runner or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Or to apply to our text, like the coming Chaldeans is real and the pain and the heartbreak is going to be suffering and it's going to be really hard. But if you remain faithful to Yahweh, Mm-hmm. If if you live by faith, God will preserve a remnant, and the godliness that you will experience will be profound. Right? Yeah. Is that right to apply? I think it is. Yeah. And even as believers now, you know, you you fast, right? You, discipl- you know, you you spend time in the morning or in the evening alone with the Lord. Like those those disciplines that we've talked about even in the previous weeks like those things prepare you for um the the future of your walk with the lord whatever that may look like it it gives you strength in the suffering that you will endure i'm sure um over time so Mm. revelation 3 19 those whom i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent I feel like we covered that. Do you have anything else you guys want to add? Uh, I mean, I was thinking about Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life, but he's one of them is uh, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Okay. Okay. Unpack <laughs> I, that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like if you just read that, then that's like, wow, you just are a terrible and grouchy parent. But it's like in Imagine. the, in the book, he, he talks about parents who, you know, don't put their kids to bed. And so then when they want them to finally go to bed, they get in this battle with their kids. And so he mm-hmm. like, wonder who was uh, doing uh, some clinical psychology. He was walking through with this guy. Hey, if you sl- trained your kid to sleep, you would r- like, and it, you know, you did 30 minutes a day where you're doing that. You're going to save yourself like six hours a week or whatever, fighting your kid from, uh, you know, not going to sleep. And if that mm. happens, then you're going to, you know, you're not going to like your kid, your, your kid, you're going to see your kid as the enemy. And so you're going to dislike your child. So you, you, the act of you not disciplining your child, causes you to, you know, we've already talked about this, but it causes you to dislike your kid, to hate your kid, to not mm-hmm. love your kid. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, thinking about mm-hmm. about God as, as our father, like he's, you know, he's instructing us and disciplining us because he loves us and he wants to enjoy us and he wants us to enjoy him. Hmm. So that's it's a, good. God's mm-hmm. discipline is a way of keeping a, keeping him from disliking us. I know that's, yeah. Anyway, you can, don't over theologize what I'm saying, but uh, I think I catch the drift. I yeah. catch the shape of it, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a it's a, yeah, just an interesting way to think about that. But God loves us, and He promises to continue to love us, and so He keeps us from from doing things that you know. From He keeps us from going off the rails. That's good, guys. We're over an hour right now. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we've brought clarity to to discipline. I feel like we sucked our people further into the narrative of Habakkuk. I feel like I've hung out with Habakkuk this morning with you guys for sure. Um, but let's, let's turn the corner and let's just end our conversation with, with this. Is there a way in which you feel like God has disciplined you in a very clear way? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I'm going to be, probably more um my my background is definitely not um along the lines of 
reformed theology in the church that I grew up in. And so sure. there was a lot of um, more charismatic experiences in my life with the Lord. And so I used to, when I was in high school, I would sneak out of my house earlier on in my high school days. And one time I snuck out of the house to go hang out with the friends and my mom, as she explains it, woke up because the Lord woke her up and oh, dang. <laughs> and came to my room and I wasn't there. And so, and so I was caught and I was in trouble and I had, I had to, you know, walk through that with them. And it was actually a very good experience for me because I had stopped sneaking out. And I also experienced my mother weeping because she was terrified because I wasn't home. And my dad like asking me like, you know, is there something we did wrong? And then the, oh, an elder, wow. an yeah. elder at my church who was a grumpy man, he was telling me all the reasons why that was a bad idea and unsafe. But I, I experienced love in discipline because I was grounded for like a month. So, but I, but I, I walked away from that. I stopped sneaking out. I appreciated my parents because I could see in that moment the love that they had for me and the care and the desire for me to be a better person and like think about what I was doing and not being a dummy. And so I think that like when, when I looked back over and over and over the course of my life, remembering that moment is like, Oh, I appreciate, I have respect for my parents. I love my parents and I appreciate the discipline that they gave to me in that moment. And thank you Lord for, you know, however my mom woke up, whether it was God like actually coming and like, Hey Lisa, let's go. Like your son's gone or not. It, she woke up someone, something somehow like awakened her in the night. And I was, I was found. And so that was a big turning point for me in my life. I'll never forget that time. So that's like a moment in my clearly I was disciplined by the Mm -hmm. Lord and he came, he came in quotes to my rescue, I think. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, dude. Thinking about Joseph Donfro sneaking out in high school. (laughs) What about yourself? I think for me right now, it's, um, I know you asked for a moment, but this is something that I'm the the process of God making me a more um, patient and compassionate person. Um, he's he's been chiseling away at my heart, and so it's been like, and I'm obviously not there uh, with my with my patience. But last night I just had a um, my ki- Malachi just would not listen to something that I was telling him to do. He just kept on, and I I've experienced like I don't. It was weird because I was just like, I, normally I could just I could just lash out at him or, you know, just remove him from the room and put him away. But I felt this, I felt like God calm, calm me and discipline me hmm. in that moment of just being mm-hmm. like, this is not how it should be. But God gave me like this extra ounce of patience in this moment last night to where I was able to see that's the, the Lord disciplining me right now, like restraining me from you know, sinning, restraining me from unjust anger. Um, so I've, I've had some snapshots of that, of him just kind of like, I don't know, putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, mm. hey, ease up. 
like, be patient. Hmm. You, you act like this before me so many more times mm-hmm. and way more mm-hmm. vigor, and I don't lash out at you. So that was just mm-hmm. kind of a cool moment last night. That's good. Yeah, thanks for sharing, man. That's really helpful. What about you? Mm-hmm. You got a standout one? I have a lot. I feel like God has a, <laughs> I feel like God has a lot of work to do with me. <laughs> um, one, one that stands out is obviously our church members, and you guys know about my neck pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I overwork and push myself really hard and don't Sabbath and rest in the Lord ever, um, sometimes the neck pain gets so bad that I, I, I get a migraine that causes me to, to physically vomit. And um, that happened two years ago in the middle of wrestling season. Um, I was not sharing the pulpit as much as I should be during the wrestling season. Um, I was not faithfully Sabbathing or resting very much. I was working, overworking too much. And one night on the way home from a wrestling tournament in my car, I was so exhausted that I could feel the migraine coming on. And the migraine just like just came out of nowhere and just like hit me like a ton of bricks. And in the middle of winter, I just threw up like blue chunks mm. in the driver's seat all over my car, Mm-mm. like steering wheel. It got all up mm. into the vents. It filled the cup holders. It was all over. I mean, every, it was so bad. So it's like in the middle of winter and I'm like out, I have to like pull over and like try to like, change out of my clothes like in the Mm. ditch you know what i'm saying and and i'm trying to like sweep all this vomit everywhere so it's just like a really ugly thing and i just thought it was kind of funny and i remember sharing it with the elders and you guys got on me i don't know if you remember that oh i remember we were in your yeah your old house yeah Mm. i was like giggling and being like yeah i just gotta push myself too hard and all of you guys were like this is a problem um and as i've looked back at that moment i have seen that me throwing up in that mitsubishi was a means of god disciplining me (laughs) And that was kind of a turning point for me to work really hard to get my schedule down to five and a half days a week, not six and a half or seven. Um, It helps me delegate more during the wrestling season. It helps me see Sabbath as not something that would be nice if I had a little extra time, but something that's a matter of faithfulness to God Mm -hmm. that I fight for and guard and protect. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for me, that was a really clear moment of God's disciplining me for not trusting him. So that that's stands a, out to me. Yeah, that's a yeah. I remember that time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that because yeah. we had we, you and I yeah. were at in Minneapolis for a Acts twenty nine non conference, and we that's right. You came back, and then you I think you missed the bus or something to go to the meet, so you had to drive all the way to the meet. Was it? A, that's right. Yeah. 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 Mm. Fortunately, because then I did it in my car, not the bus. Yeah. (laughs) And then you went, yeah, I think we had an elder meeting like that next day. Because, yeah, it was a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And it's been cool to see, like, uh, you definitely have changed in that way. So I can tell that that was uh, the Lord, yeah. Now when wrestling season comes around, I cut down my my preaching to 50%. I'm Mm -hmm. only in the pulpit 50% for those three and a half months. Mm -hmm. So... And I think it honors Jesus. Yeah. So I think the yeah. discipline created the thing in me that he wanted it to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, and just thinking through, like, <clears throat> Sabbath as a way of the Lord disciplining you. Like, mm. it just, you know, we we talked about the yeah. spiritual practices, and we're, you know, we've devoted ourselves to these as a church. So it's like viewing those practices as, like, you actively participating in God's discipline of you, of him, of, of him 
make <clears throat> him making you look more like Jesus and act more like Jesus. And this is really good for our church to hear because I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Our church is not good at practicing Sabbath. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I sent out that questionnaire about the practices. Only 25% of people said that they regularly practice Sabbath. 50% said sometimes, and 25% said never. And it's symptomatic. It's probably mm-hmm. because we see Sabbath as like, wouldn't it be nice to have a day off if I had time? But God sees it as faithfulness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and He commands it, and it's a means of discipline to us. So if you were in that 50%, oh, think about it. Yeah. Think about it. Sabbath is not a roadblock. It's a bridge. <laughs> Parting shots, any last things you want to say about the discipline of the Lord? I think I've spilt my guts. Anything you want to say about Habakkuk? Old Habby? (laughs) Habercrombie and Finch? Oh, gosh. Okay, well, this was a long one. I think it was helpful, though. It's got me excited to be in the pulpit again this Sunday preaching Habakkuk. Sweet. Guys, we hope that this blessed you. We hope you understand uh, and have a deeper theology of the discipline of the Lord. And we hope that this podcast helps you worship local.